again, is what I was been told. And, you know, it's, it's I, I want to say this in the beginning before I begin my lesson. I, I would say that, happy Memorial Day weekend. But for some families, it's not happy. I read an article yesterday. It really humbled me because I was getting my, my ribs ready. It's getting the, all the trimmings for the, for the slow cooking of smoking some meat. And then I clicked on an article, and it says, Memorial Day is not about hot dogs and steaks. It's different from Veterans Day. Veterans Day, we honor those who serve. Memorial Day is, for, is to remember those who died. And I was like, whoa. I was, I was just thinking about my day tomorrow, how... You know, have some beer, have some dogs, have some burgers, have some friends over. I, I just forgot about the fallen. Yeah. And it really humbled me. Yeah. You know, I looked up 8,250 men from California, men and women, have died in combat operations since the Vietnam War. Just in California alone. So, if you got some time tomorrow or a moment just reflect on that to think and, say, and just appreciate the unknown men and women. We don't know. They give us this, this opportunity to worship God, to read the Bible in public, to preach the word, to share our faith, to, to love our neighbor without any set of recourse that some governments do. So with that, it's going to be in a fantastic morning because I've been preparing the book of Acts for you. Now, if you're here last week, who, who here was not here last week? Okay. Only a few, you're good. So last week, I just talked about, you know, this amazing book of Acts, this amazing story of Acts, about it being actually two volumes. There's a volume one and a volume two. And at the end of Luke's gospel, it overlaps with the book of Acts. It's really a two-volume piece, a two-volume set. It's an extraordinary gospel and an extraordinary uh, 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 narrative for us to look at this morning. Um, you know... Luke is the author. He's amazing. I'm just going to click this over here. Uh, I want to show you a map real quick. The map's really cool. This is a map of the, the known Roman world. It's an exciting place. It's, and, this, and the story of Acts has a lot of uh, themes to it, you know, multiple layers of themes. And one of the layers that I always found interesting was how Luke is really taking the, the Jewish church, which is down in Jerusalem on the lower right, and he's really telling the story of the, the gospel, how it advanced through the Holy Spirit over to Rome, which is mostly a Gentile church. It's kind of like the capital of the Gentiles. And so if you're a Jewish guy and you came across this book, you would be a little bit, if you weren't a Christian, you'd be a little bit offended that God's word was, was meant not only for the Jews, but was meant for the Gentiles. And Luke is really laying the groundwork for the, for the complete gospel to be revealed to all of mankind. That was God's plan from the very beginning. It's actually in the Old Testament. There's actually called the book of Jonah, which reminds us that God wanted to save the pagans. He wanted to save the Gentiles. He's always had that in mind. But as we know, when you grow up in church in the same culture, you only start thinking about yourself. And it's a fascinating narrative how the disciples in stages were opening their eyes to what God was doing. And it was actually shocking for them because they weren't realizing what God really meant. So as we begin this study of the book of Acts, I want you to think about mission amor. That's mission love. 
Mission love. I love when Anthony calls me. He always says, hey, Gio. And I say, I say hello. He goes, mission love. <laughs> we start out our conversations that way, and we end our conversations. Mission love. Goodbye. It's so cute. <laughs> so inspiring. Very cute. Mission love. So this is where I kind of ended last week. You know, I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you receive you've been clothed in power from on high. When they had led them out of the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he blessed them, he left them and was taken to heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple praising God. You know, it's like a good movie with when they have the sequel in mind. Think of Avengers, Harry Potter, Hunger Games, Star Wars. There's always the next plot. So there's a little bit of, of overlay on the book of Acts in chapter 1. So as we turn there together, there's this guy in the very beginning. So his name is Theophilus, and there he is. There's his name. Theophilus is a really interesting person. We don't know much about him, but we can glean some things from him. Here is what we can glean. It's written here. It says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. And on the book of Luke, he, call, he gives him kind of an honorary name because Luke and Acts are the same. So this is volume two. So in, in Luke volume one, he gives him this most, most excellent, most, this dedication. Like he's a prominent person. Like he's someone important. Maybe he was learning to be a Christian. Maybe he was a young Christian. Maybe he was just a guy that was curious about what's going on in the church. Now, you got to remember, Luke's writing this about, you know, conservative estimates are 60 to 80 A.D. This is, he's writing this when Paul was kind of in prison and about to die. Could be. He's writing this when the, or, or it could be the temple of Jerusalem was destroyed. He's writing in that era looking back and trying to explain to Theophilus and the church because it got distributed what was occurring and what was happening. Now, it's not uncommon in those days to dedicate your writing to a person. Josephus, the Jewish historian, actually did the very same thing. So it wasn't uncommon about dedicating your work to a person, even though it was going to be sent to a broader audience because the church took these, these, these narratives, these gospels, and they made copies, and they circulated throughout the church. That's how the gospel was, was laid out. Now, Here's some things we could glean from it. As he writes in Luke 4, you don't, you don't have this, but one of the great things about when you do Bible studies about characters that are kind of obscure, there's great his, uh, 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 commentators and theologians, and one of them is F.F. F. Bruce. And this is what he writes about Theophilus. I'm going to put his name back on there because it's so cool, Theophilus. What a name. Sounds like a DJ. <laughs> ah. It is quite probable, he writes, that Theophilus was a representative member of the intelligent middle class public at Rome, whom Luke wished to win over to a less prejudiced and more favorable opinion of Christianity than that which was current among them. Theophilus had already learned something about the rise and progress of Christianity, and Luke's aim was to put him in the possession of a more accurate information that he already had. You know, judging by the contents of the book of Acts, Theophilus, needed a, he needed a reliable account of what was happening in the church or what, what did happen in the church. And so he did, that's why when you, when you read Luke, some things 
are not in the book of Acts. Like when Paul gets to Rome, there was already a church there. But Luke doesn't focus on that. Or in the book of, you know, when you, see, when you read the letter of Colossae, Paul never planted Colossae. It was already there. They just wrote him a letter. But he, he put a lot of emphasis on Colossae. So there are things that he's trying to, to get the Elophysis to concentrate on. And so what was Luke trying to get across? Well, he's trying to get across everything that Jesus did in the book of Luke, or in the gospel of Luke, and he's trying to show that, the, that, that even though the, the Jesus was gone, that the disciples and the Holy Spirit was still working actively in the church. His emphasis is still on Jesus, but the living Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. If you notice in, in this book of Acts, as you read it, he doesn't really talk a lot about the death of Jesus, although it's important. That's not his emphasis. When you read Paul's letter, his emphasis is the death of Jesus a lot. But in Luke's writing, his, his focus is the resurrection of Jesus. And that's so important for us because we're in that testament. We're in that covenant as a church. We are the New Testament church. And so it's important for us to know that the Spirit is guiding and leading us and leading us, advancing us powerfully. Now, when Luke was writing this, the church was beginning to become under a lot of scrutiny, a lot of persecution. There was emperors like Caligula, Nero, Claudius. Those are the crazy emperors. And then the Flavian dynasty, when, when, uh, when uh, Vespian was the, was the, was the um, emperor, he sent his general, his, his, his relative, Titus, into the Jerusalem temple and destroyed it. So there's a lot of persecution that's going on, and it's happening, and it continues for many, many years. And so questions arise in people's minds whether Christianity was a legitimate religion, or was it a dangerous sect, or was it a corruption of the Jewish religion? There was a lot of unknowns. Now, we have the benefit because we're reading it... You know, in, in hindsight, we see everything. But in the moment, they're trying to figure out what to do. Okay? So Luke's work, it, it helps Christians, but it also helps outsiders know, too, what happened and what's going on. So the book of Luke could be considered an apologetic document, a defense of Christianity. To, to give the public officials, as many others did, like Justin Martyr, they, they give apologetics to say, hey, look, we're your best citizens. We obey your laws. We're not trying to overthrow your government. But at first, it was a threat because Jesus was a king. And so this, that unknown right there put the Roman government on edge. And so the book of Acts, as he goes and says, Theophilus, I wrote all about what Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days. He should have put that in like bold. And spoke about the kingdom of God. Many convincing proofs. 40 days. Days with Jesus. Now, it's kind of shocking. He was dead. He's back alive. He says many convincing proofs. Now, what I thought was interesting was the number 40. 
Whenever I see numbers in the Bible, I always go like, what does 40 mean? So 40, remember when Moses went up to the Mount Sinai? He was gone for 40 days, and God was giving him instructions, and he came down with the Ten Commandments. If you watch Mel Brooks, the Five Commandments. If you remember that movie. In 40 days, Jesus is giving them instructions. In the fundamental of Olives. Now, Moses had given them the first covenant, the first testament, which is called the Old Testament for ancient Israel. And now the apostles are given this new covenant, this new testament for the renewal of Israel. But they still at this time were not thinking Gentiles. They were thinking Israel. You have to understand the Jewish culture is extremely nationalistic. Just watch the news. You will see how nationalistic they are. I mean, they're super, you cross their borders, there might be missiles. I mean, they're, they're like, hey, don't mess with us. Super nationalistic people. That's, that goes thousands of years back. That's not something new. Jesus, during the 40 days, he appears to the, the apostles, and he had just been dead. When you see Jesus for 40 days, these guys had something unshakable in their faith. I mean, they got to see the risen Christ, talk to him, be taught by him. He, it wasn't like a flash. I thought I saw Jesus. Was that him? I thought I saw him around the corner. He was sitting and eating and talking and teaching and eating for over a month. Can you imagine the impression that leaves these apostles? You know, this missionary work that lays ahead of us. It cannot be done on human effort. It cannot be done on human effort. It's based on a divine commission. It's, it's divinely empowered. You know, mission love can't be done on a human effort. It's the spirit. You know, someone told me, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. And I thought about that. That's so true. Because I make plans all the time. And then when I realize after it's done, what really God wanted was something di totally different. Someone told me that. It's actually a college student by the name of Andre Augustinelli. And I was like, that's just, you know who told him that? His grandmother. I'm like, there's pearls coming down. Because it's so true. Sometimes I lay out my plan, and afterwards I realize my plan was human, and God's plan was divine. It's divine because God can work through all of our sins. That's why it's so divine. If it's human and it messes up, you scratch the whole thing. But if it's divine, God will work through your sinful nature for his plan to get accomplished. That's what's so amazing about his plan. So if you want to make him laugh, tell him your plans. Now, in this next slide, it says, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, now, so, so he's resurrected, he got, you know, he got stabbed in the ribs, he's got things on his arms, and he's eating food. If you want to know about that, go to 1 Corinthians 15, learn more about that, right? So he was, he's eating with them, and he gave them this command, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. The first task 
that Jesus just resurrected 40 days. He tells them, I'm, I, I'm leaving, wait. I couldn't do that. I'd struggle. I'm like, I, I got to tell people. The temptation to tell people. When I read that, I'm going like, the composure. But the command was to wait, because if they were to go, it would be human effort. He says to wait. Wait for the promise. I don't know if I could have waited. You know, when you read the, the Gospels, I mean, the, the epistles, it's, you, know, you know, Paul writes about keeping in step with the Spirit, staying close to the Spirit, see what's God doing. This is kind of the start of it. He says, wait for the spirit. Wait. This is what I'm talking about when I say human effort. Sometimes we get off on our own program, and it's not with God. It's just on our own. And later, we, 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 it's revealed to us, like, oh, that wasn't God's plan. Well, let's wait and see. And so here they are. They're asked to wait. And now the Holy Spirit is a dominant character in the book of Acts. The spirit moves Philip to talk to the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. It says, go to that chariot and hang out. The Spirit prepares Peter for the emissaries that are coming from Cornelius, a centurion, one of the enemies. And the Spirit reassures Peter to go talk to Cornelius. The Spirit sets apart the missionary work for Paul and Barnabas. The Spirit guides the decision of the Council of Jerusalem but almost fractured the church about circumcision, about how Gentiles can be disciples too. The, church, the Spirit guides Paul past Mysia and Asia and into Traos, into Europe. It guides him. And the Spirit also tells Paul what awaits him in Jerusalem, and that's suffering. So there's a spiritual sense that the Holy Spirit is moving powerfully throughout the book of Acts, throughout the church, and throughout the people. And the point is clear. Luke, his story is about, regarding the church, that the mission under the guidance and under the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, when I think of church, I don't always think about that. I'll be honest. I think about how do we do it. Does everyone have their part? Is the is communion ready? How's the temperature? I rarely come to church and go, the Spirit. I'll be honest. I'm trying to make this, we're trying to make our venue appealing. Yeah, there's, a, there's a place for that. There's nothing wrong with that. But I'm just trying to share, my, sometimes my mindset when I come to church, I'm not thinking about the Spirit. I'm thinking who might have a bad attitude, who I have to talk to. That's my life. I talk to those folks. Yeah. Yippee. Right? Versus, where is the Spirit leading me? What conversation does the Spirit want me to have? You see the human effort? It's, it's so easy to get caught up in the human effort. I have to talk. Who Maybe God doesn't want me to talk to that person. Maybe it might be dangerous. My life might be in danger. Don't talk to him. Talk to this person over here. Much more loving and friendlier. Who knows? But my point is, sometimes I come into a spiritual atmosphere... And I'm not even thinking about the Spirit. And that's convicting for me. Because I want to think about the Spirit. You know, Jesus doesn't, disappear, doesn't disappear from the book of Acts. 
His name appears 86 times in Luke and 68 times in the book of Acts. That was pretty cool. Because, you know, he died and resurrected and he left. But the word spirit and Jesus in the book of Acts, you'll see them, it's kind of interchangeable. And in one place, Luke refers to the Holy Spirit and it's called the spirit of Jesus. I thought that was so cool that Luke is trying to tell us that they're they're working together. God, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus are working together as one. And so they're told to wait, and then they gather around Jesus, and then the one asks this question. I I like how then they gathered. This was an important question. It wasn't like one guy's like, hey, Jesus, I got a question. Like they, you know, imagine them gathering around Jesus, and they go, Lord, uh, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and out Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. They were still viewing the redemption of Israel to be a national restoration, to be a kingdom again. The idea was so deeply embedded in Hebrew thought and culture. Just think about Deuteronomy. He says that of all the people I chose you to be my my treasured possession. Think about the scriptures we know. Jeremiah 31, I'm going to give you a law and I'm going to put it in your mind and in your heart. Ezekiel 11, I'm going to give you an undivided heart. I'm going to make your heart of stone into a heart of flesh, and the Holy Spirit will be there. So they're thinking at this time, the time is right. It's time to restore the kingdom of Israel. You know, a lot of these during the Gospel of Luke, they asked Jesus, are are you the one that's going to redeem Israel? I mean, in their minds, they left everything to follow Jesus. And if you're part of a national physical kingdom and you're close to the king, money, 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 money. There's prestige. We just saw a royal wedding. That's a gross national product in most countries. When you're in a national kingdom and you're close to the king, you you reap the benefits. I always wonder why the mother of James and John went to Jesus and said, Hey, Jesus, grant my sons to sit on your right and sit on your left in your kingdom. I wonder why she asked that. I wonder why the apostles were arguing, Who's the greatest? Who's going to be the greatest? Because in a national kingdom, it's important to be the greatest. Because there are benefits. They gave up everything. To follow Jesus. And they, it it didn't even dawn on them. This has nothing to do with nationalism. This has everything to do with internationalism. It never dawned on them. This post-resurrection Jesus. Talking about the Holy Spirit and talking about power and waiting. And he goes, it's not for you to know. The times or the dates. Save your money. Don't buy any books that tell you they know when the end is coming. Nobody knows. 
The Bible even says Jesus doesn't even know. Only the Father knows that. Because they were asking for signs of the age in Matthew 13. They were asking Jesus, is this the sign? And he told them over and over again, no, you can't know it. Nobody knows it. The only thing we do know, it's going to come like a thief in the night. You won't know what's coming. It'll catch you off guard. So that question of when is a really great lesson for all of us. We shouldn't be concerned and caught up in the end times. There's no way for us to know. No one can search the scriptures. I always find it hilarious that some guy on the news goes, I started the Bible, and I, this is the day, April 18th. I chuckle. Because I know he doesn't know. But everyone gets worked up. This, could this be the 2012? Then the Mayan calendar. Oh, my gosh. Remember that one? They even had a movie about it. I went to go see it just for kicks. Because <laughs> it was so funny to me. Or two, the year 2000, the computers are going to reset. Oh, my gosh. This has been going on for a long time. We don't know, and we'll never know. Their only focus for us and for them was to proclaim the good news of salvation. Now, I found it interesting that he wrote, they asked about this because depending on the time frame of when this book was written, this narrative, the temple could have already been destroyed when this was written. Could have very well be, depending on your, on your time frame. If it was destroyed, and, they're out, and, and, and he's reminding them of this question, he's reinstating, it was never a national kingdom. It was an international, spiritual, eternal kingdom. He might be reminding some of the Jews that, hey, look, this was never about our nationalism. This was never about us. It was about the world and giving salvation to everyone. He was saying to the church, don't be concerned about the when. Be concerned about the gospel getting out. And then he says, you're my witnesses. You're my witnesses. It's a very prominent word in the book of Acts. In its, very, its various forms, it appears about 39 times in the book of Acts. And it's really a, a massive theme. It's a mandate to go out into, the, into their world. And by doing this, He goes back to Luke 24 on the overlap. He says, you're going to be my witnesses and you're going to preach repentance and forgiveness in my name in Jerusalem. This is what he's telling them. And when, you're, when they're reading this, they're, 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 they're in their mind, they're thinking, okay, we're going to go to the, go to the ends of the earth and we're going, to, we're going to pull in all the Jews. All the Jews that are scattered throughout the Roman Empire, we're going to pull them in. It's not till later they find out that it actually was including the Gentiles too. Because in their minds, it's about the Jewish church. It's Jerusalem. Now you go to Judea, it becomes a little, it's, 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 it's the outskirts. But when you go to Samaria, it's kind of almost Jewish. It's, it's like they're happy happies, you know. But in, in the, you, can, you can imagine in their mind, they're not thinking Gentiles. Because when they come across Gentiles, they're like, whoa. 
What's going on here? And so that expression, this, this outline, it, it is, this is what Luke is going to be, be unfolding to this narrative. He unfolds Jerusalem, and he covers the first seven chapters. And then he goes to Judea. It covers from chapter 8 to chapter 11. And then the remaining of the book covers the end of the earth, going out into the Roman Empire. Some people think, well, is it the Roman Empire? Well, it's, it's, in other words, it's everything else that's out there. I mean, at their time, it was a Roman Empire. But he's saying, the point is, everything else that's out there, go to the ends of the earth. Go and share the gospel. So when we think about mission love, when we think about the Holy Spirit, that is matching the Spirit because one of the fruits of the Spirit is love. Right? That seems like it connects together. When we love people and we love each other, the world will know that we're His disciples. There's so many overlays of that mission love that, it, that is so in the Bible. And if we can do things that are, that are Bible-oriented, there we can find the Holy Spirit working. A lot of times, we like to add to the Bible things, our own little plans. And it's so easy and tempting. I do it all the time. And then I get frustrated and mad at God. And then I look around and go, oh, that's what you meant. Okay, I'm sorry. And we do it again. So this everywhere phrase is something that Paul talked about. He actually quoted Isaiah. In the book of Isaiah, the, the, the salvation was for everyone and to the, the salvation to the ends of the earth. It's all throughout the Bible. It was always there. But remember, sometimes our prejudice, our nationalistic pride, for they, it gets in their way. It gets in our way sometimes. And so this is the beginning of an amazing narrative that Luke puts together, not only for Theophilus, for the church, but also for us, for our lives, for our hope. As we look at this map, we see where he's talking about. To the ends of the earth, their known world, all the way to Rome in the top left. And that's Paul's final destination. He wants to talk to the emperor himself. And this was the journey. And this was the map. And if you look at this map, you'll see different letters in the New Testament that Paul was writing because they needed some help. In the middle, you'll see Philippi, Thessalonica, Macedonia. You see all these places. And in the exact middle, you see Sparta. It's an amazing story that Luke is putting together. But he's carrying a story from a Jewish church to the international church. And that is our mission field. It's not just Simi Valley. It's all surrounding cities. It's our whole area. This is why we give to special missions, our missions offering, because it's a worldwide international church. So let's think about God. Let's think about the Spirit and how it's working in your life, even if we don't know He's working. Thank you, and have a fantastic weekend especially for all those who have fallen before us to give our country what we have today. Thank you, and thanks for your time.
and we are dismissed. Thank you.